maybe for uh, a few more weekends. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's an option, but it's not an option that we plan, but maybe I'll think about it for the future because it's really rich. And I think it'd be pretty cool to have a core of people who are really interested in this and, you know, get trained and they could go out and, you know, and do the work. I mean, there are even programs one can join in a lot of places. I know San Francisco, the East Bay, probably I think Sonoma County where you can be a community mediator, you know, and really actually it's usually volunteer work, but it can be kind of doing what we just did. Right, really valuable work. Uh, okay. So um, the segment right now is going to be related to what we did earlier. This is um, uh, focusing more on empathy and listening, which I think we've seen is so central a capacity and a practice for everything that we've been doing here. The capacity to listen, I think, in relation also in relation to your comment at the the back, your name? Marissa. Melissa? Marissa. Marissa, yeah. That Marissa is talking about the importance of uh, knowing and meeting one's own needs, right? That uh, empathy and listening, very crucial in relation to oneself, not just others, right? We usually think of it in relation to others. So I want to talk a little bit about empathy generally, and then uh, mostly guide us in a practice which gives a little more formal structure to empathy so that you can take it into daily life. Very, very simple practice. And we'll, we'll do it, I think, uh, uh, we'll do it three times to, uh, you know, to help us. And, but it's a pretty simple practice that uh, is very related to what we talked about earlier in terms of uh, um, needs. So you can get your get your hand out uh, on feelings and needs and have that ready. We won't look at it quite yet, but have that available. Okay. So some of you probably have studied. How many of you have studied empathy in various ways? Maybe some in how many? I didn't. I haven't asked. How many of you are therapists? <laughs> you know, so quite a few. So. You know, empathic listening is right at the heart of that, of practice. And uh, I'll just say a few words. Um, The word empathy itself is a fairly new word. Uh, It was sort of coined, uh, I think around 1900 or so, uh, by some of the pioneers in psychology who were Responding to the develop to the development of the uh, uh, word in, in German by I think some I don't know if it was Wilhelm Wundt you know the founder of contemporary psychology uh, but um, anyway they there wasn't quite a word and the word in German I think was Einfühlung uh, Einfühlung which means feeling into and so they wanted a word something like that and they. Uh, experimented, and the word they came up with is empathy. So it's kind of a new construction, even though the... uh, So it means sort of going into... uh, The pathy is related to the root pathos, which is related to suffering, like the pathos of Jesus, we would would say. Um, In any case, the, the word typically means tuning in to the experience of another. That's what it usually means. 
And there's been a lot of very interesting scientific research in the last, particularly the last 20 years. Probably some of you know about this. And what's been interesting is they've really uh, clarified both the variety of types of empathy and some of the dynamics, which are quite interesting. Um, so, for example, the, the research seems to show that there are three types of empathy uh, connected with three different parts of the brain. We usually think of empathy as tuning into the emotions of another, right? Uh, we prim- primarily think of emo- uh, empathy as something related to the emotions. But in actuality, they find in terms of the research that it's uh, related to the emotions, it's related to the cognitive dimension, it's related to the body. And so there's these three different uh, dimensions. And uh, you know the one that's, again, most... Uh, obvious is that we can tune into someone else's emotions. And that's this is an innate capacity rooted in the limbic system. So it's innate. Everyone has empathy in that sense, unless there is a, uh, you know, a problem with the brain, you know, or, and there can be certain disturbances, certain kinds of uh, uh, someone can have two of the three kinds of empathy and really have major issues. You know, I forget, some of you probably know in more detail, I forget all the details, but like some kinds of uh, mental diagnosis, there may be lacking in one of the three kinds of empathy. Do you, do you know the details of that, Marisa? No, I forget. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not using any notes now. <laughs> the three kinds of empathy are first... This is like a natural capacity to tune in and know the emotional state of another. It's, it's, it's an innate capacity. As people grow up, a lot of it gets blocked. You know, that's what happens with conditioning. You know, so it's an innate capacity, but it's not necessarily uh, operative because it gets covered over. You know, a lot of things block empathy. Um, so there's the tuning into emotions, there's the tuning into uh, someone's sort of way of thinking. So you kind of understand where they're coming from, maybe. And then there's also the tuning into someone else's uh, bodily motions. And this is where the famous mirror neurons come in that you've probably heard of. The mirror neurons mean that if, if we saw someone walk across this room, there'd be something at the level of our brains that would kind of mimic the walking. We'd have almost like a, uh, our own brain, you know, neurons will be stimulating a sense of walking. And that's, again, these are all natural capacities. Um, the research shows that uh, there are a lot, there's a lot, and then people are not clear why this is, but generally uh, women have much more empathy than men or significantly more than men. The research shows this. They're not clear on the causes. And, you know, some people, you know, it's not clearly just the conditioning. You know, some people speculate that, you know, whatever, 10,000 generations where women are the primary child rearers has brought in empathy, you know, at the level of the genes in some way. That's not established, but that's, that's more speculative. But in any case, there are significant differences between men and women in terms of a test. And obviously, conditioning plays a large role. You know, uh, 
you know, that, uh, you know, again, what comes to mind is, a, for me, a somewhat horrifying statement that I remember coming from uh, the second President Bush right after 9-11. Someone asked him, how have your emotions been in these last weeks? Or what is, what's your, you know, and he said, that's not my area. Talk to Laura. That's that's maybe an extreme, but but there the conditioning is strong, and you know I know I certainly was not raised to be very savvy emotionally, even though I think a very emotional being. I mean, I sometimes cried at driver ed movies, you know, and I knew I was very emotional, but uh, it wasn't that accessible. I had to learn, like in my twenties and thereafter, so. Anyway, so there's conditioning there. Now, the interesting thing is, again, that uh, empathy is natural, rooted in the very natural functioning of the brain, and yet it does get blocked. You know, again, it can, some of it is by the conditioning, just like we're talking about. Some of it is maybe in a, uh, you know, we, we just get shut down in various ways. You know, and so... People have the natural capacity, but it's not necessarily an operation so much, right? And so, partly, I, in my experience, we have to uh, we have to really work to uh, some of us have to work to have it be more operative. One other interesting point uh, is that uh, people can be empathic and tune in to other people's emotions and thoughts and body movements and use the information for negative purposes. In other words, empathy is, in a sense, you know, generally it leads to, towards understanding, but that understanding can be used for manipulation. Politicians do this a lot. In a sense, they're empathic. They know what other people are feeling, but they use it for their own purposes. They use that knowledge for their own purposes. And so what that's led me to think and really the way um, I like to understand empathy. Empathy is both a natural capacity and it can be an intentional practice. And I think because of that sense of empathy being potentially manipulated or used, the empathic understanding being used for manipulative purposes or even negative purposes, um, that uh, I think that the... uh, the cultivation of empathy can be a deliberate practice done for, done especially with the intention of understanding. In other words, um, of understanding and making connection. In other words, when it becomes a practice, it's something which we link to an aim that we would, uh, you know, the aim of understanding compassionate connection. So I find it necessary to really uh, think of empathy as a practice in that way, even though it's innate capacity, to clarify the intention for developing empathy. Does that make some sense? It was, you know, it's taken a while from working with this to come to that clarity, but I was, it was very striking that psychopaths can be empathic. Right? It's interesting, right? They can really tune in, but they use it for negative purposes, right? Okay, so 
very simple empathy practice that has been developed, uh, I think, I think originally developed, uh, initiated by my colleague Oren Sofer, you know, with whom I teach speech practice, who just came out with a wonderful book, which is on the reading list called Say What You Mean, which is on, it's on, um, really on speech practice. So if you wanted to go further with that, we're only dealing with that a little bit here. And so he has a background, I mean, I have some background in nonviolent communication. Oren is a, a trainer in nonviolent communication, so has a very strong background, stronger than mine. <clears throat> and we took um, the sheet that, you know, if you take this sheet now and look at it, uh, it has on one side, it has needs, which we've already looked at. We've talked about needs from the perspective of nonviolent communication. By the way, that is another book that's on the reading the reading list. They have the uh, nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg, which is uh, quite a quite a wonderful book. You know, and it's very complementary with our mindfulness practice. You know. And so we've we've covered needs, and uh, the other aspect is feeling. So the short uh, sense of what the empathy practice is is in a conversation, tune in to what the other person's emotions are and tune in to what, the, what is meaning, seems meaningful for the person. And you can see that that is actually tuning in to two of the three types of empathy that are disclosed by contemporary research. In other words, the more cognitive and the more emotional, right? Again, and so uh, we tune in and we say, we can ask, what are the emotions? that are happening right now. We, we sometimes use the language, what matters for the person? And that's a way of talking about needs. But basically we're saying, what are the emotions and what's the need that's present? And we can develop this as a practice that we do a number of times during the day. You can watch the news and do empathy practice. That's more advanced, but you can, you know, you just uh, in ordinary conversations, even if you don't say it, you can, you can tune in in that way. And a lot of us, you know, we do that somewhat naturally, some version of it, but this is a little more formal. Uh, and so uh, what's really distinctive here, and I, I prefer to use the word emotions rather than feelings, because feelings is so ambiguous, you know. You know, we can use the language and say, I feel, and it, it can either mean I think, where I have emotions, where I have body sensations. That's ambiguity, <laughs> right? You know, it's in, isn't that interesting that the word feel has developed in our language like that? It, it, and and it, it gets very confusing because people sometimes use the word, uh, the phrase I feel, and they're actually conveying an idea. And sometimes that's, you know, neutral. But sometimes it can get people into problems. Like we say, I feel manipulated. Right? That's not an emotion. That, that's an interpretation, sometimes camouflaged as an emotion. Right? Uh, or, uh, you know, I feel hurt. Right? Maybe that's getting a little bit closer, but it's still, uh, the interpretation is that you hurt me. Right? Or what's, what's another one like that you can think of? I feel what? Attacked. I feel attacked, right? I feel abused. I feel abused. Yeah. 
yeah. Uh, I feel vulnerable. That is, I think that's more genuine statement of inner state. That would not be, um, in the, Marshall Rosenberg calls these faux feelings, you know, false feelings. They, they present as feelings, but they're actually interpretation. I feel vulnerable could be, you know, there could, that's getting a little closer to direct experience, but maybe still some interpretation. So I feel attacked, I feel abused, I feel manipulated, I feel misunderstood. Now, there are emotions connected with those statements, right? It's not saying there's no emotions, but people aren't saying what they are. I feel misunderstood. I might be, what might I be? What my emotions might be there if I feel misunderstood? Frustrated. Uh, that, uh, I might feel alone, but what's an emotion that could be related? Huh? Lonely. I feel lonely. I feel angry. Right. Frustrated, lonely, angry. I feel attacked. See, this is, this is somewhat, when we're doing empathy work and someone says, I feel attacked, we, we can ask, what seems to be the emotion there, right? What might be, what might be there so if someone says, I feel attacked? Afraid, Afraid right? Fear. Defensive. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, sort of defensive energy. It's not exactly an emotion, but... but yeah, so unsafe... Uh, could be sad, yeah. So here we can look at the sheet of, feel, of feelings. And again, there's some, I don't think that we can easily say with great precision what's an emotion and what's not. You'll see some of these, you might say, is that really an emotion? Or we could say, I feel vulnerable. Is that an emotion? I think there's some that are a little bit on the edge, right? And that's okay. But. Uh, yeah, it's a big focus of it, yeah. It's actually uh, learning how to speak. And these it has four main categories that are mentioned, and these are two of the four. And we, we use this to actually structure empathy practice. Can I tune into emotions? And can I tune into what matters for the person? Okay? So what the sheets do is they give us a little more, what, literacy. You know, a lot of us, I mean, the research shows that actually, I don't know, this was done a while ago, it might have changed some, but it found, they found that most men are only familiar with one emotion. Guess which one? Anger, Anger right, right. And, um, yeah, so for a lot of us, using a sheet like this can really help to gain some, you know, and what's the... What's the difference between anger, irritation, frustration? We could go down the list. There's subtle differences, you know. And so the sheet can be helpful. And we'll do this exercise and you can look at the sheet. And on the needs we've already covered, but again, we want to have a sense of what matters for the person. So we'll do, do a few exercises now just to gain familiarity. The first one we're going to do with me. I'm going to say some things and I'll talk for like two minutes. And as I'm speaking, I want you to be empathic towards me. By the way, it feels very good to be heard empathically. (laughs) You know, uh, I think I said yesterday, sometimes what we most want in life is to be understood, right? And feel a sense of connection and understanding. It's very precious, even though it's in a sense very simple. Right? So it's quite quite a 
You know, I think that's what we were saying yesterday when we when we did the listening about the conflict. People were saying that this is, this is in a way a profound experience, right? Do you remember some of that discussion from yesterday? So take a look at the sheet here. And again, I would say this is not conclusive. This is not, I think there can be some further work here for developing more cross-cultural sensitivity, but it's a starting point. And for our purposes, it's good enough. Um, okay, so I'm going to do, a, this is some, this, we'll do a practice that'll be very similar to what each of us will do. That is, I'm going to think, I'm thinking of like about a two-minute uh, talking about something in my experience, and I want you to tune in to two things. Emotions, what emotions are you sensing? And what matters for me? And you can look at matter, what matters to me in terms of the needs, okay? And what we'll find, I think, is that virtually everyone is wonderfully empathic. I hope so. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, I'll just start talking and tune in. And what we will want to have is that, you know, after the two minutes, I'd like you to tell me, uh, we can just do this, we don't have to even use the microphone, just to say, shout it. I want each of us to kind of come up with two or three emotions that you notice. There might have, you know, might have been ten. And then two or three, sent your sense of what matters, Okay. So um, I enjoyed uh, teaching with uh, Stephen yesterday, and the day before on Friday, you know, he was at my house uh, most of the day, and we we had lunch, and we talked about all sorts of things, and we did some planning, and I'm going to go teach in Israel in mid-July, and I, I taught there two years ago, and so I really enjoyed the collaboration. I think it went smoothly. We developed our plan for yesterday really quickly. Uh, and had a good meal, and uh, you know, and I, I appreciate. It. I, I remember when I was in Israel the last time. I went up to where he stays. He lives in a kind of an eco spiritual community, small community in the north of Israel, and just staying there and being with the people in the community. Very beautiful land. Uh, uh, you know, could really appreciate also his many many years of setting up this uh, organization. So, and we, we have plans for me to go visit him and we we'll probably teach together in Israel some and go, go stay with him for a few weeks. And yeah, it's also just very, very poignant being there. You know, it's actually for me very, very intense, you know. And last time I was there, I, I think I taught three retreats and gave six talks and made two trips to the West Bank Right, and which was my first time doing that. It was it was a little scary, you know, but uh, people were very gracious. We had one, you know, one time I went with uh, a co-teacher who also speaks Arabic, and we went to a family of friends of his uh, in a little village near Bethlehem, where we uh, shared the breaking of the Ramadan fast with the extended family, you know, and they were incredibly gracious and served us. And, you know, it all went through uh, my friend Aviv, who was uh, translating uh, from Arabic into English and so forth. So anyway, cut. Okay, <laughs> okay. so 
Uh, this is pretty much what we'll each do in a moment. We'll have a little vignette where you, you know, so what emotions did you notice? You can just speak up. Maybe one at a time. <laughs> okay. Excitement, right. And you can, you can even check your sheet to see. Yeah, others, maybe raise the hand and I'll recognize you. Yeah. Touched. Touched? Yeah, what, what emotion would that be? It kind of gets at something. Inspired, that would, that sounds like emotion. Huh? Yeah, like, uh, maybe, let's, let's say touched is an emotion. Is that, what, what's your, again, I think there's some things which are a little bit on the boundary. Some things are more obviously emotions, like sad, angry. Touched is actually on there. Okay, it's on here. I'm not a, okay, very good. Okay, <laughs> okay, uh, please. Apprehensive, yeah, when I was describing that situation of going to the West Bank, yeah. When you first began speaking, when I, what should I talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah. very good. Okay. Affectionate, Affectionate yeah. Grateful. Grateful. Proud. Huh? Proud. Proud. Yeah, so those were all accurate. What's interesting about this empathic feedback is that those all felt really accurate. And it's, not, again, nice to be empathically met, right? Very, it's very precious. And also, uh, I certainly, some of them were more obvious than others, right? Some of them uh, I wasn't so aware of. Like, I didn't tune into the fact that I was a little apprehensive maybe right at the beginning, right? I thought that was, you know, that was, that was right, you know? Uh, so that's one of the things about empathy. When people meet us empathically, they tell us things about ourselves we may not know which is very interesting. Okay, so let's go now to the needs, or we like to frame it as what matters. What mattered to me? What were some of the things that you heard that mattered to me? Connection. Yeah, please. Friendship. Friendship, yeah, yeah. And connection. Yeah, please. Spiritual communion. Spiritual communion, yeah. Challenge. Challenge, yeah. Purpose. Purpose. Closeness. Closeness, yeah. Please. Yeah, having, uh, um, you know, have, making a contribution, however we say it, yeah. Affecting positive change. Affecting positive change, right, yeah. Yeah. Mutuality, Mutuality sort of uh, collaboration. Yeah, that, there's a whole range, yeah. Adventure. Adventure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excitement, right? So it kind of, that, maybe that gets more, that's the, more the emotion, yeah. Well, let's just do the needs right now. Yeah, yeah. Rather than any, so those were all again accurate. People were, you know. So empathy is not hard, right? That was that was not hard, was it? No. What's again like the mindfulness? I was saying what's hard is to keep remembering to do it, right? Because we get locked in, we get caught in our thinking. Again, this is where the your David, your question of regular mindfulness practice will leave us more able to listen to others rather than be caught in our own thinking. So this is, that's an ongoing challenge, isn't it? Can I listen and really be open, or am I caught in, oh, you know, what, what am I going to say, or what's my thinking on this? So, um, and, and listening is a, um, it's a very ancient metaphor, right? It's used a lot in spiritual practice. I have a Tibetan woodblock print, I think it is, at home, of the great figure Milarepa. Anyone know, Milarepa? Anyone know Milarepa? Who has his hand to his ear, maybe you've seen that, listening to the sounds of the world, right? You know, or 
Kuan Yin in uh, Chinese Buddhist tradition, she who hears the cries of the world with compassion, right? So it's a listener, right? So it's a very, it's a lot of uh, very powerful metaphors, uh, very central. And so this is really what that's about. And this, so what I just gave you is a practice that you can do on a daily basis, very simple. You just did it. You did it the first time maybe. And you were, you got you on, as we say, nailed it, <laughs> right? At least the people who spoke, <laughs> right? So, uh, but I'm, I'm sensing that everyone, you know, it's not hard, right? Again, what's hard is to remember to do it, right? So what we want to do now is we want to uh, have some, uh, again, dyads and practice this with each other just to get the familiarity. You got the idea, right? And so uh, first step is just before we go into dyads, contemplate something like what I described, just like a two-minute vignette that would take, you know, something meaningful that happened maybe the last day or two or three. It could be about what we're doing here, you know. But something meaningful that would, uh, that you could share some of your experience. You know, it could be, you know, you know, three days ago, you know, I met with my cousin or I took a hike or, you know, I, you know, uh, heard this wonderful concert or whatever. So just think on your own right now for, you know, 30 seconds or so. What might you like to share that you could do in two minutes? Doesn't take, you don't, you don't need any backstory. You can get right into it like I did. Just think for yourself right now. Raise your hand if you need more time. Okay. Just take uh, 15 seconds or more. Okay, and let's move into dyads. It's okay to be with the same people. (laughs) But it's also exciting to be with new people. Raise your hand if you need a partner. Okay. So we can have uh, one group of three. We can have one group of three. So introduce yourself if you haven't already. Okay. So here, here's, here are the instructions. Uh, This is going to have, uh, let's see, three parts, okay? And we're going to to have one person share first. So decide among you who will share first. Share your two-minute story, okay? Raise your hand if you're going to share first. Okay, good. Okay, good. And for the group of three... um, Could be, yeah. 
Yeah, that'd be fine. Thanks, Katie. And you can, uh, what you could do is also you could just sit in and see, you could do the, you can do the empathy practice without being the one who, who, uh, who tells the story. Yeah, you can, you can do the empathy practice twice. Okay. Okay. So that was, that was very quick (laughs) win-win processing, right? (laughs) Okay. Without even thinking about it, but. Um, okay, so um, step one is the person, this is really pretty much paralleling what I did. Step one, two minutes or so, and I'll, ti- I'll time everything and ring bells. Two minutes to tell your story. When you're doing that, the listener tunes in empathically to those two dimensions. What are the emotions? And you want to come up with maybe two or three. You don't have to come up with six, right? Mm -hmm. Come up with two or three emotions, two or three senses of what matters, okay? So that's uh, step number one. Uh, Person tells a story, about two minutes. The listener listens with that in mind, uh, listening empathically with those two points in mind. Uh, Step two. The listener says, here are, two, here are the emotions that I heard, and just do two or three, and you don't need much of a story. The second step is going to be like maybe a minute and a half, pretty brief, and it's not like, you know, I really loved your story. I had something like that happen to me once. It's more like, here are the emotions, okay? You know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I heard, you know, my sense is that there was anger, and, but also joy, you know, whatever it is. Okay, that's step number two. Step number three, the original speaker gives a little feedback and maybe says, oh, you know, that was accurate, thank you. Or says, oh, that was accurate, but I didn't really, gosh, I never thought about being apprehensive, right? Right, so, so just whatever you want to say. And that last would be about a minute or so. Okay, then we'll switch and switch roles. And then we'll have a little bit of time just to talk about what it was like. Okay. Just not needs. No needs as well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't fill that out, did I? Yeah. You want to. You want to have the sense of both emotions and needs for what matters, and you want to have a sense of two or three of each of them. Okay. Sorry. Thank you for the clarification. And the story is just a meaningful. Something mean any meaningful. Just nothing, and not necessarily or probably better not to have the most meaningful thing just something you know like maybe from something uh yesterday could be could be from what we did here could be, yeah could be from you know being happy about something that happened it's like, positive issue. what More positive? no 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 it could be it could be negative you know uh you know uh I had this really difficult conflict come up three days ago that actually I came here spontaneously after that happened. And, you know, I'm really glad I'm here, but that was really, really hard. You know, you know. <laughs> okay. See, you're already right there. There's a lot you could tune in on, right? All right. So something like that. Is that. Any questions, other questions about the instructions? Okay, so... First, just uh, set your intention. See, I haven't mentioned this too much, but we're working a lot with intention, which is really crucial. Like before a meaningful conversation, if you can actually set your intention 
to listen carefully, maybe bring in some of the tools. It can just take 30 seconds, but it can make a world's difference. So we're practicing that here a lot in these two days. So set your intention as a speaker and as a listener. As a listener, you want to set the intention. I'm tuning into these two dimensions. So set the intention. I'll ring the bell to start in about 15 seconds. Okay. So finish up your current thought. And then we'll move to step two. The listener. The listener shares the sense of the emotions and what matters, the needs. Okay, move to step two. And you can look at your sheets if you want as you're doing step two. No, I so appreciate 
So finishing up step two, take a little more time and then move to step three where the original speaker just gives a little bit of feedback about how that was, accurate, etc. So finish up step three. What? No, we we haven't. We're just finishing step three. So finish step three, and then uh, thank your partners. And now we'll move to uh, switching the roles. Speaker becomes listener. Listener becomes speaker. Let me just ask: Was that generally enough time? I, I I saw a lot of heads shaking, but not everyone. Yeah, which which stage needed a little more time? The last one. So you can give you can just give very minimal feedback. I was giving it just a minute, minute and a half. Uh, you can just more or less say, yeah, that felt accurate. You know, <laughs> uh, not too much. Yeah. And but and where did you where did you where could you use more time in the back? What? All through? Okay. But how many people felt it was enough time at least to... Yeah, okay. So I'm going to give a little bit more. Okay. Okay. So switch roles. And the new speaker, remember your story that you came up with, your two-minute story. Don't need background. You can go right into it. And then uh, first step, hearing the story. Second step, uh, uh, the listener will share maybe just two or three emotions. You can just say, I, you know, I, my sense was that there was joy and uh, fear. <laughs> Not usually together, but that came out. <laughs> uh, and I, my sense is that what mattered for you are connecting with nature and uh, taking care of yourself, <laughs> right, or whatever. So it can be pretty, the idea is to be pretty brief, not to get into too much story of, oh, I really like that story, I could really identify it. I remember one. So it's really a kind of a quick training. And then the third step is just to say, 
you know, well, you know, that really connected and I, you know. What, one thing I didn't say the last round is when you're being heard empathically, see how it feels inside. Right? That's, that's interesting. Just tune in. Oh, let me, because it, it's not so common. Right? Okay? And so third step is just for the original speaker then to just give a little bit of feedback, a minute, minute and a half or so. Okay? So... Any questions before we do the next round? Okay, so again, set your intention. I'll ring the bell to start, especially the intention for the listener to tune in to emotions on the one hand and then also a sense of what matters, the needs. So tune in and I'll ring the bell in about 15 seconds. Okay. So finish up step one, the sharing of the story, and then move to step two, the listener uh, sharing your sense of the emotions and what matters.
So finish up step two and move to step three, which is uh, just a little bit of sharing from the speaker of how that was to be heard empathically, accuracy, etc. So finish up step three. And what comes next? Uh, just want to invite you. Let me have your attention. I want to give, I want to just give about three or four minutes right now just for any observations about what that was like, any comments, if there was something that was needed a little more time, you can go there. Uh, but especially, what was this like to both be heard empathically and to practice empathy? Anything you noticed? What's it feel like? Was it easy? Was it hard? You know, how can I bring this into daily life? Wherever you want to go with it, take, take maybe, let's take four minutes just with your partner or partners for right now, wherever you want to go with this, you know.
Yeah, I'm going to bring us together in 30 seconds. But you can do it. Uh, we're going to go to walking pretty soon. We could do it then. Okay. Okay. So finish up. And thank your partner. And let's come back to the whole group. have a little just a little bit of time to ask any questions or share any of that was like again we'll use the mic um, and we'll have we'll have walking meditation and a break in just uh, five or six minutes or so any anyone want to share what you experienced please uh, yeah question would be fine too yeah if somebody is dying how much expectation should there be of that person to provide empathy to others? Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, interesting question, isn't it? Um, probably, I know anecdotally, uh, it's often the case that people who are dying, if they are fairly conscious and in good mental emotional state it's very common that they take care of the people around them that they can handle the dying but the other people can't that's very common uh, it's not exactly desirable right and so I think it's going to be very uh, you were asking really was it about expecting how much can we expect I think I think uh, generally uh just to get a sense of the nature of the person and the, the conditions. That uh, was there a background for why you asked that? You 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 can you you can give the mic. That's okay. I asked because my husband has cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, again, uh, when we talk about uh, dying. We, you know, people, we could talk about moving towards death and we could talk about six months of dying and people being very, um, you know, have a lot of their facilities right there, right? And we could also talk about 
the period right before death when things are impacting. But, you know, I can remember being with my father when he was dying. And I think maybe two days before he died, it was actually at the time when I was working, I was finishing the book that's out there, The Engaged Spiritual Life. And I told him, oh, I just finished another chapter. And he said, oh, that's so good. Right, it was something like that, right? So it was, uh, it was right there, right? That kind of empathy was right there. So I think that uh, it depends a lot on how what's happening in the body is affecting the mind and the heart. But uh, so I don't know about expectations, but there might be, uh, could be a lot of empathy right up to the end. And again, sometimes people are almost unduly empathic. It relates to Marisa's, Marisa's question about uh, sometimes it's, it is the case that dying people, you know, for various reasons, almost take care of the people around them because they're more distressed than the dying person is, right? And so it's, quite, you know, so it's a lot of interesting dynamics. Does that start to get at it? Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry, sorry to hear that, of course, yeah. Well, I've had two experiences about dying. You know, my, my brother died um, quite a few years ago, um, and um, I was with him when the doctor said he couldn't. They couldn't do anything more for him, um, and um, he. I took care of him, and um, I felt like I was really in charge. I wouldn't let my mother stay in my house. She can come, you know, she came from New York. I mean, the caregiver needs to be taken care of. Um, she could visit him and see him, but, and, you know, everybody can come, but I needed to, that was my, my uh, how I took it. Yeah, yeah. often, uh, I mean, people have done some very elegant writing about how, Often caregivers don't get the empathy that they might need, mm-hmm. right? So that's 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 another related issue. Yeah. So. The same thing with my husband. He just mm. passed away 15 months ago. Mm. He had Alzheimer's. Mm. So it's a, you know, I, I had an experience with that. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you say goodbye to somebody, you know, years earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different... It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot, and that's why they have respite for caregivers, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, there's burnout. So you got to, as a caregiver, you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Any other sharing of the exercise? Uh, how did you experience the exercise? Any insights? Yeah. Um, I thought it was so funny that she pointed out immediately, like, you're frustrated. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow, that did not occur to me at all. <laughs> and then she had her talk, and I go, you know, the first thing I noticed is, you're frustrated. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I think I, I, she was more aware of that. I, I just thought it was funny because you were talking, we were talking about how, like, the standard male may be more familiar with anger. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with my own pain and my fear, yeah. frustration. I I didn't realize it. It's a, it's it's dangerously close to anger. 
I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's anger that you're trying not to get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also had a question. I mean, we can talk about this one later. It's just uh, a brief question. I saw that underneath the feeling inventory for scared, yeah. jealous was there. Yeah. And I, I didn't even realize that. So I don't know if we can touch on that later yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, so there's a lot there in what you say. I mean, one of the things is is that we can often... Uh, not really, not really know empathically what we're experiencing. Again, one of the benefits of our, like doing the mindfulness practice like we did this morning, uh, one very good practice is if you find your mind looping around a lot in, in your meditation or maybe just in your daily flow, go into, do some meditation, then deliberately go to that looping and then uh, go into the body. Uh, try to get away from the repetitive thinking, and often the body can access that emotion, which may be more obvious to others, right? It, like I'm looping about something that happened yesterday, and I go into my body and realize, I'm pissed. <laughs> pissed does not appear on the sheet. <laughs> okay. uh, but I'm, I'm angry, right? And, you know, if you asked me, I might not have known that, but when you do something like this with another person or sometimes do it on one, one's own, you can, in a way, it's giving empathy to oneself. So that's one thing. And then again, uh, you know, Tim had originally asked right at the beginning about anger. And again, uh, again, I think a lot of things have changed, but anger used to be most familiar emotion to men and, uh, you know, difficult or risky for women, right? Right, and so I think we actually had a we had a day long. I don't know if it was last weekend that was just for women on on anger. Right. Well, that sounds intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd like to hear about it, but but uh, I've thought of doing a day long. Uh, I don't know about. I guess it could be just for men on anger. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because it's been you know like that's been important for me that in the book. Uh, that I have out there, I have a whole chapter on anger. And it's been a really um, interesting area to explore. You know, I, I have a person who's now a friend who I was, uh, I helped, uh, I was the main guide for his PhD dissertation, which he did on anger. His name is Robert Masters, and he wrote a book on it, which is a very good book on anger. If you, It's not on my list, because I was trying to not be too thorough. <laughs> which is one of my occupational hazards. You know, but it's, uh, if you want to look up Robert Masters on anger or take a look at the chapter on anger. And he, you know, we a little bit wrote the dissertation together, but it's just fascinating. We looked at uh, the nature of anger in all the world religions. We looked at anger as it's treated by all the different schools of psychology. And... Uh, uh, he developed a very innovative typology for types of anger, which was, which is very creative and and uh, you know basically unlike a lot of treatments of anger, even in Buddhism, he saw you know uh, he saw anger as um, not in itself a problem; it's what one does with it. It's kind of as obvious, but you know if you look uh, a lot of even uh, in Buddhist settings. Anger is used as a translation for a word in the Pali language, uh, dosa, which is way closer to hatred. And so if you look at anger in Buddhist settings, you'll, I think you'll find a lot of confusion. Because yeah. anger is often seen as something that can be, that's entirely negative. 
whereas in Western context, it's mixed, right? In the uh, Jewish Bible, uh, uh, God gets angry. You know, uh, the Jewish prophets get angry. Jesus gets angry, right? And anger is one of the seven deadly sins. Talk about a setup for confusion, right? Right, so... And, and anyway, we kind of surveyed all that stuff. It's really fascinating. And he basically came that uh, there are ways of working with anger where you just hold it with mindfulness and even let the energy come through in a way that's deliberately non-reactive and non-destructive. And I, I think of someone like Dr. King. Listen to his voice. I hear uh, transformed anger coming through, you know? Yeah, there's something very strong there. He hadn't suppressed the anger, but he's not blaming, judging, reacting. But some the energy, because anger, you know, and again, we, it was really interesting to just almost like do a pretty thorough research on this. But uh, And in my own experience, I found that uh, when I stayed with anger, with mindfulness, uh, and stayed with it long enough, I told you I had a whole, whatever, 10 days, 18 hours a day with anger, that when I really stayed with it, a lot of the, I found different varieties of anger, but some of the forms of anger where it was connected with something which really meant a lot to me, when I stayed with it enough, it, it turned into sadness that the need wasn't being met, and then it turned into love. I would actually, originally anger would be there, I sat with it long enough, you know, it didn't take that long to feel the sadness, right? That would be the, in nonviolent communication, they say anger is a sign of an unmet need. Uh, but we sit with the sadness, but then stay with the sadness, and often love would come through. That there was some love of that was uh, behind it all. And that was interesting, right? And you find that in uh, uh, you can find that in some of the literature. You know. So anyway, it's a it's a very interesting and complex emotion. Yeah. Any anyone else want to share? We're going to go to walking just in a moment. Yeah. But I wanted to, I wanted to go into a little more detail because Tim, you asked that right just yesterday. I thought so. I, there are some resources, Robert Masters, and the chapter I have has some references that I mentioned as well. I think there was there was a book that was written quite a while ago on anger, and the first line was, "Anger is probably the most confusing emotion in Western civilization." <laughs> Right, for some of the reasons I suggested. Dancing with anger. What? Dancing with anger. That's another book as well. Yeah. That's Harriet Lerner. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Can you speak to Oh we're I'm sorry. Let, maybe let let her go first and then we can go Nancy go second. And that'll and then we'll then we'll do walking. Okay. Okay. Um I was just gonna say that the empathetic listening for emotions is something I've done before. But adding on the needs, I think, is a really great tool to help, like, when you're really trying to hear somebody to listen. I I feel like I've done a lot of listening for emotions, but not listening for needs. And I think that's sort of the special sauce. Really important piece, yeah. And just to say that uh, my experiences in, in working with people, that the empathic listening for emotions, the emotions are going to feel a little more direct and we kind of get them the way that if someone just right now walked in this room and was in a lot of distress, 
we would just immediately get it, right? We'd know what's going on. That's the limbic system working, right? But for the needs, for what matters, there can be some at, little, at times a little more aspect of inter, some degree of interpretation, and that's okay, right? But just as long as we acknowledge that, right? But we can still tune in. I mean, how many people here felt that there might have been some degree of interpretation when you sense needs or what mattered? Yeah, so it's about half. And how many people, when you actually said it, it actually was later uh, seen as pretty accurate? Is that pretty much the case, right? So I think that, so, but just to know that there's, there's a little more of an interpretive piece than with the emotion, just to acknowledge that, to know that we might be off, right? But a lot of times, you know, like the experience here was that people were not off, but the, these are protected, this is a protected environment, the examples were not charged, right? So we, we okay. And last one, Nancy. I just wanted to ask about projection. When yeah. a person, well, I'll be personal, I was feeling sadness. That was, I mean, I was in touch with that. Yeah. But another close person projected why don't you deal with your anger? And it was like the furthest thing from my mind. So yeah. how do you deal with an inaccurate projection? Um, let's see. So th- this wasn't in what we just experienced. No, no, no. I didn't think that was, those were not the instructions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, we could, you know, the advanced version of these days, we would say, this is like the was describing of the, where you walk around with your triggering statement. It could be like, you know, uh, project on me, please. No. <laughs> right. No, it was what you said when you said yeah, anger yeah. is close. Underneath it can be sadness. Yeah. But I've, that's recognizing your own feelings. But yeah. I'm talking about somebody no, I, I, out there projecting. I got it, yeah. Um, um, it, a lot of communication is going to depend deeply on the relationship, the nature of the relationship. If you have a history of, uh, you know, sharing and saying, that's, you know, that doesn't feel quite accurate. Uh, you know, maybe I could talk about the situation. Let me invite you to listen empathically, right? If you, some relationships you could do that. Some you couldn't, right? And I don't, this one, my guess is that you couldn't. <laughs> Right, that is, it's not a something, but you could try that sometimes. See, that's a lot of this is sort of doing a little bit of jujitsu. You switch the frame, right? Someone is locked into projecting, and then you just say, Well, thank you, but could let me invite you to just listen for a moment, you know? And some people say, What do you mean? I've been listening for the last 10 minutes, and but other people would say, Okay, I'll, I'll try that. So, um. So, I think, yeah, I mean, you, if, if your really advanced practice would be to be empathic with that person and sense, sense where they're coming from and meet them, you know. But it also might be, uh, um, maybe to set boundaries. That might be skillful, right, to say, you know, again, it's all, all going to depend on a lot of things you haven't said you know, the nature of the relationship, the history, what happened before it. But 
you know, if you're feeling sad and vulnerable and someone comes at you with kind of aggressive blaming energy, what do you do? Well, you might want to say, you know, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm in a kind of a hard place. I think it's better for me just to kind of be on my own for a while, you know. So I think, you know, you could say it without being reactive towards the person. This is not easy, right? So those are a few thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Okay. So, um, so I took a little more time with this. It's really an important piece, isn't it? I mean, almost like the heart of certainly the both-end model and the exercise we did before lunch is is uh, rest and listening carefully. And then adding the piece on the uh, the needs or a sense of what matters can fill it out some. The key is always practice. Can we keep practicing this? Um, you know, and but there are a lot of opportunities. You can do it with ordinary communication. You don't have to look for a conflict. Practice with developing empathy with just ordinary conversations, just like the equivalent of what we just did. And, you know, I sometimes just take a vow just to keep practicing empathy during the day. And you, it doesn't take any more time. But again, all of this, it's hard to remember to do it. To do it's not that hard. <laughs> That's kind of the paradox of practice. <laughs> okay. So let's just take 10 minutes now. The, we, we'll come back for uh, a last piece where we'll do some further, uh, we're going to do some very interesting exercises. I won't say what they are. Okay. Okay. So well, just uh, just 10 minutes, use the bathroom, stretch, take a little walk if you want. We'll come back.